Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and super excited for another fantastic episode with another great guest. Today's guest has over 15 years experience in the oil and gas industry with roles ranging from field engineer to change management professional. She's currently the director of business operations at Wallbox Chargers. Please welcome to the show, Akanksha Matter. Good morning. Morning, Justin. So good to have you on the show today and really looking forward to our conversation. We've got a lot to cover because in our prep call, we, uh, we had a great conversation and I've captured a lot of notes that are all highlighted. So we've got a lot to cover. The first thing I want to ask you is what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the call. I really appreciate that. And it's always fun to share the experiences and learn more about, um, you know, from, from others who have been in the field. Um, so to answer the question, I would say um, the biggest challenge in my experience, uh, I, if, if I may use the word field, uh, you know, the basically someone who doesn't have a screen in front of them all the time. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say is um, kind of, so I, it's, it's two ways, right? Uh, one uh, would be uh, for, them to, uh, for them to understand how the work that they are doing is impacting, you know, overall, overall the company, overall company-wise and the other players in that particular process end-to-end. Um, and it's not, I, I don't say that as their fault, it's just that they are not exposed to that side of it, right? And uh, the other I would say is lack of, lack of understanding from the other side, uh, as for example, if, if I may use that, like, you know, we want them to use some systems, but the team or the group of people who are trying to make them use the system do not really understand what that person working in the field in 50 degrees C in Oman needs at that time, right? He or she doesn't care for if you want him or her to put a data set or something in the system right away, right? So I would say it's kind of lack of communication more or less. Um, uh, they, they do their job great, but then to help them understand the big picture and understand their needs. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I love the point that you made about them understanding the work that they're doing and how it's impacting the company overall. And I, I love, I, I, I understood that you were not accusing them of not understanding it. it <laughs> it's that maybe we haven't taken the chance or yeah. taken the opportunity to describe to them. How do you think we can fill in that gap? So um, I would say that uh, one thing that I learned in my last seven years of uh, you know, when I moved to the whole digital side of it is kind of giving them a big picture. So yes, they give, they get all their technical and in-depth training in what they exactly need to do hands-on while they're on site. But I feel somewhere the, the management or higher up, we kind of lack of 
trying to show them that they need to have the importance of them having that big picture for their future career path because it's the 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 one understanding has been the only the always one question you need to think from your audience point of view is like you know what's in it for me so you can't just say that you need to understand the big picture you need to tell them why they need to understand the big picture and also you know have them have them keep like keep motivated and try to show them that yes you did a great installation or you know great uh, field project and this made this much money for your company so they actually see that you know because i did my job right like we were able to get more a bigger contract from the client i got a sell up or so on so i just feel there has to be a bit more open and transparent communication between the management and the people who are in the field that's a really good point about connecting their understanding of of how what happens today is important because they need that knowledge as they advance in their career yep if they want to advance professionally inside the organization, then having a more well-rounded view. So it's not yeah. just about what's in it for you today, but it's about what's in it for you from a career development standpoint. Yeah. And that taking a few minutes to understand the bigger picture here, it may not change your role as a field engineer right now today, yeah. but getting that more well-rounded understanding helps you down the road. I, that's a fantastic point, especially in a point in time when we're so focused on retention of these critical skills inside the organization to give them some career pathing as we're trying to enable change in the organization at the same time. Like it's, it's kind of like a double bonus there. Yep. Yep. I, yeah. I mean, I've seen it live in my, in my experience. So I, I very strongly believe in that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well tell, give our audience a little bit of background. You have a, a really interesting <laughs> career journey and you've recently made a change that I want to explore a little bit. So um, sure. I, I realized as, as I was giving your introduction today and saying that you have 15 years experience in the oil and gas business. And then I realized, well, there's been a change. So let's, let's talk about that journey. Sure. So um, a little bit background uh, or history would be, so I completed my, my background is mechanical engineering. Uh, I completed my bachelor's um, from IIT Delhi in India. And then I was offered a job in oil field services um, and a company and I joined it. I started in Vietnam. I had no idea. Initially, I had to look on the map where that country is. Yeah. So um, that was my first job fresh out of college as a field engineer trainee. Um, and I was on this um, offshore rig, giant offshore rig for the very first time, went through the chopper and all. So, you know, a, a young kid right after the college, super exciting. Yeah. Um, then I basically um, worked my way up. Um, uh, then within next two years, I was leading operations uh, on offshore and onshore rigs. Uh, and I worked across close to seven countries in um, South America, US, uh, Middle East, and uh, Southeast Asia. Um, and then after I spent, I spent close to five years in the field, uh, then I moved to management. So I did some project management for some of the national oil and gas clients in India, in the Northeast and South. Uh, and around that same time, uh, my company was basically working on revamping whole kind of ERP and the new business systems. So uh, basically because of, I would say my operations background, they wanted someone to lead that deployment for the operation folks. So I moved to Texas in 2015 um, and became part of the whole transformation team basically. 
And uh, since then, uh, I would say over last seven years, I learned completely different to something I had done before. So um, it was a lot of learning. Um, um, I basically have been deploying new ERPs, new digital tools for operations and a little bit for sales folks. Um, and in my last role, uh, I was um, basically deploying the ERP and the top layer tools for operations across the globe uh, in different geographies. Uh, and then, yes, I, I moved out of uh, uh, out of oil and gas space. And um, as you mentioned, I, I joined Wallbox Chargers uh, last week, actually. Uh, no, sorry, this week. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. I mean, the move has been on my mind for quite some time. Uh, I would say during pandemic, uh, I, I I got time to mull over it, and you know, kind of, I I had this feeling that that's where the future is, and that transition is it's the high time that we need to make that transition. Um, and I would say honestly, uh, I started exploring options and try to find you know where my skill set would I would be able to contribute to this as I like to call it energy transition movement happening and uh, wallbox came along and it it worked out so I'm I'm very nervous but excited to work this whole shift out and hopefully have a future in this space that's awesome so for those that may not be familiar with your new employer you want to give a just a quick sure. elevator pitch for sure. who Wallbox is? Yes, yes, sure. So um, Wallbox chargers basically uh, manufactures the charging units um, for any EV, uh, and it's uh, it's a very, I would say, um, it, it's a small, very efficient little box. Um, I would say, um, and they have also have the installation services. The company is based out of headquarters uh, is based out of Barcelona, Spain, and uh, currently uh, they uh, all all of their Europe business is worked out of Spain, and then they have a we we have a factory in Asia. So all of the Asian business like China, Japan, India, all of is supplied from over there. Um, and uh, we are already in US. Uh, Wallbox charges are available on Amazon and on Wallbox uh, website itself. And uh, we just opened uh, the first factory um, in Arlington, Texas. Uh, it should be up and running in the next few weeks. So like the whole idea is to decrease the lead time, uh, you know, have our customers have to access, uh, have the access to the to the unit as fast as they could. Um, and besides the hardware, uh, the residential charging units, uh, uh, Wallbox also manufactures the DC charging units, like the public. Uh, and then that would be the future products that will be launched to US and the ener energy management solution, which is more on the software side in the, you know, how you want to play around with your energy, charging your car, eventually using the car as energy storage in the type of power shortages and so on. So bi-directional charging is another um, product that uh, that Wallbox manufactures. So, yeah. Fascinating. I definitely think I, I read an article this morning that said this year we're reaching the, uh, the transition point in the United States yeah. where we've, we've exceeded now 5% of production is in EVs. 
And that's the inflection point that is most other countries that are heavy on EVs have experienced yes. where now it's going to really pick up. And uh, that's pretty exciting. It's, it's exciting yes. stuff. And it's going to create uh, entirely new, uh, you know, spaces for yep. companies like Wallbox to, to come in and compete and, and add new products and services to the mix. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that works. And it's, it's interesting for you to have migrated from, you know, kind of the fossil fuel side of things over to the clean energy side. And, and for yes. those that are listening, yes, I understand. We all understand that we still use fossil fuels to create the electricity that ends up in our EVs. Um, so it's not totally uh, emission-free. We do understand that. I don't want to create any uh, yeah. <laughs> conflict on this podcast today. But anyway, well, thank you for that background. I know I hadn't been familiar with Wallbox. You and I met uh, prior to this uh, recent transition. So I appreciate you giving us a few minutes of, of understanding of that. Let's dive in. Most of the things that we'll talk about today are, are from your, your past life. And I think one of the things that makes you such an exciting guest for me to have on the show is that you have been a field engineer and then later in your career, you transitioned into um, responsibility for supporting the men and women that, you know, had roles similar to what you were doing on these transformative, you know, technology initiatives. And one of the things that you and I touched on a bunch, um, but I, I would like to explore it a little bit further with you is about the idea of you becoming a bridge between the fields and, and the IT team. What did you mean by that when we were preparing and, and help the audience understand a little bit about that role you played? Sure. So um, that was the, my very first role when I moved to Texas um, uh, in the, uh, and be part of this project. So uh, I, I honestly would say like when I joined, I was coming from pure operations background. So my mind still worked that way. Uh, when I started talking to the IT experts and the contractors who were basically building these tools for the field. Um, because I understood the language of the end users, in my very first few days, I just didn't get what they were talking. And my first thought was that that's probably is the impression of our end users when we are going to go and start talking all the IT language to them. Right. And it's more about the mismatch of the language. Right. So uh, the, in my, my very first learning and which I carried with me for the next seven years um, in that role as I moved up was that, that the deployment team or whoever is deploying those tools needs to be the messenger. Or you can say, as I would reuse the word you used, right, the, be the bridge between and the translator between the IT experts and the field, because they both, if they both don't understand each other's language, we are not gonna achieve what we are trying to achieve. So um, basically the idea was that for IT field, the IT teams to understand what exactly are the challenges and pain points of the field, right? Because uh, to give you a quick example, um, we had this very fancy tool prepared and you know, oh, oh this is gonna be awesome. This is super fast. and they don't have to capture data on a piece of paper. They can just punch in the numbers and it's gonna go directly to finance and all that stuff. My very first question was, um, what if we don't have connectivity on the field? Because I did, I had worked on the locations where we had no connectivity. There used to be one phone in, in one specific room in the client's office to call home or call your, you know, your manager or anything. So, 
So those are the kind of things which I felt was kind of missing. So, uh, you know, so basically eventually we're like, yes, we need to look at that scenario because it, it is a common scenario. So we kind of work through, you know, 80-20 rule and see with geography, we are gonna deploy that in. Would that even make sense for them? We can deploy the tool and say it's deployed, but if nobody is using it, there is no point. We spent so much money on this whole. So um, what we did was basically, um, yeah. So we tried to bring the IT and the operations together uh, in, uh, you know, in the workshops, in the communication. And me and my team were more trying to explain whatever each of them didn't understand. And so, yeah, and I, I feel that that worked out really well. And we got a lot of constructive um, outcomes um, from that. Yeah. Can, do you think it's important for that to be bi-directional? I'm, I'm curious. Is it just important that the IT team understand what the field yes. engineers are talking about? Or, or is there a case to be made that the field engineers need to understand the IT language a little bit too? So a um, little bit of both, but it's needed. So uh, again, like my mind is all, it's still an operations mind, right? So uh, I, I strongly feel that because the IT experts are building something, like the, basically I, I considered them as my client, the operations or the field engineers were my client, right? So eventually you're like, you're making something that you want for the client to use and get benefit out of. So they definitely need to understand the field language and their pain points. From the field, uh, you know, uh, from the field, I believe they do not need to, and they should not need to understand everything IT because that's not their job, right? Right. But they, they, they at least need to know the basics that they will be using in their day-to-day -day life, right? There are new terms that cannot be completely converted to, operations language right so there needs to be a good balance uh, but i do I, I do believe that from the it side of it because that's their job to understand their client and build the tools um, it, it's important yeah now i love that you have the background that you did as a field engineer and i i could just haven't gotten to know you now a little bit uh, i can understand how influential and and uh, of a solid communicator you could be in that scenario where you're acting as a liaison between those two groups. But some people end up with your responsibilities without having had the opportunity to be a field engineer, right? And now they're serving field service technicians or you know they may be serving retail associates, but they've never been in retail yep. and in some of those other things. How would you recommend that somebody in your role today as a change management professional helping with the implementation of that, how would you suggest that they go get that experience when they haven't ever been a field engineer? So, um, so I, I would say that, and I have seen that because when, when we, there were times when I had a contractor on my team, right. Who did not come from the field or operations background. So I, the, the, in my experience, some of the things that have worked well, uh, for the people who did not had past experience similar to who they're going to work with would be, you know, don't jump to the solution at the very beginning. Take the time in the very beginning to scope out, you know, what are the priorities and key issues, right? And I would say, like, you know, starting with to understand the end-to-end end -end process, like how this whole thing works, who does what, Right, and also like have a one-to-one -one probably with the specific group of people 
trying to understand you tell me you know in your language and then i will ask my questions so i would say listen first and try to understand whatever is needed because they probably don't need to understand all the technical side of it but it's more you know that you're going to need to make sure that whatever you're going to give them they're going to use it and use it well so uh, yeah it's more i would say like listen first understand the process end to end and then propose the solution first to see if it's going to work i i think that makes a lot of sense and it's it's about getting out in the field talking to the people that yeah. know that process intimately did you ever feel that maybe with your experience as a field engineer did you ever find yourself making an assumption that you knew already what the folks in the field needed? Oh yeah. Many times. I, I could see that being a risk <laughs> in some ways that maybe, yes. maybe gave you too much confidence. I'm not accusing yeah. you of doing that. I'm no, saying no, no. I, yes. I can imagine myself in yes. that situation, having had the experience, then coming in and saying, Oh, well, I, I already know everything I need to know. Yep. A any examples that come to mind? Definitely. So, um, I mean, thank you for asking that question. It's a very good question. Um, and yes, that, that did happen to me. So, um, in in the in this particular project we were we were deploying by geographies right and during during my experience i realized not every location works in the same way right so um, a lot of things in the beginning a lot of things that i had learned in the locations that i had worked in asia north america works completely different to that so there were times when i you know um, these are like the early years when I was still learning, I was like, no, this won't work because this is what happens in the field. Uh, but because we had it as a part of the process of having these scoping workshops with our stakeholders, and then someone was like, um, that's not how we do it in North America. So that was a learning experience that exactly what you said, right? That, and it goes the same thing that I, was, I said before, we got to take time to listen despite being a professional or coming from that background, because your users are coming from different backgrounds. So understand, listen first, and then, you know, don't just assume, basically. Yeah. I, you raise a really great point, Be, you know, talking about just the geographic differences and, and how yep. things work, you know, especially in a global organization where we're crossing continents and in, in different countries and stuff like that where the, the standard operating procedures may be very different in, in different places. And, you know, it's interesting, one of the big motivations behind implementing technology in a global company many times is about standardization, right? About yes. creating standardized processes. Yes. Yet that flies in the face of the autonomy that many of those countries, continents, or just, yep. you know, theaters of operation may have across the globe, or even within the country, it may just be different, you know, regions or states inside the United States. And, um, and so sometimes those things are in conflict and your job is to, to help evaluate that. So yes. Yes. watching out for making those assumptions is um, probably something that we all need to, to be better at. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure you get to share this story today, because you, you told me something in our prep call about how you were able to communicate with the men and women that were going to be affected by change. And you talked about the, the way to get traction with some of the operations folks was not to share your thoughts about it, but you had a different approach in terms yeah. of uh, delivering that information. Tell, tell us how that worked. So, um, yes, yeah, so we, that has always been the very first 
challenge whenever we went to a new geography uh, to, to deploy something new, um, because I, I feel, uh, and I could totally relate to that. Like as a field engineer, if someone from HQ comes and tells me to do something, I would do it just because I have to. But if, if another field engineer from another location tells me that, hey, you know, I'm using this tool and it's super cool and it does this for me, just because I know I have that automated trust that, oh, he or she is in the same position. So she knows my life or, right, and I can relate to it. So we kind of, kind of tried that approach. So uh, whenever we did our first, because we didn't have that challenge with the management so much because, you know, their, their thinking process, they understood the big picture, but more so on the ground, like sales engineers, field engineers. Approach what we used was that, um, we try to connect the new users to the existing users in the system that we had deployed already and get them in the same room and talk virtually, of course. But yeah. it was more on like, look, I'm not telling you that this works or I am, I am, I know, like, you know, I am not telling you that this is going to work. I'm going to make you talk to Tom. And, you know, he is, uh, you know, a sales engineer in, um, in Texas, in US, and I am trying to deploy this to someone in Abu Dhabi. And you know, you're a sales engineer, he's a sales engineer. How about I get a call connected to you? And we we saw the instant traction. And there were calls we when we collaborated, like me and my team were just like literally literally were like a fly on the wall and hear them talk. And it was absolutely like eye-opening to see how quickly they connected. And obviously, like, you know, I mean, there were, we had to take both sides of it. They did tell the good stuff about it. They also told the bad stuff about it. But yeah. then the idea is that you have to keep it real. And that's how it got real for them. And we we noticed that the more approach we took and, and, and the more uh, these kind of collaborative workshops we were able to do, we did, we had less, <laughs> we, we faced less challenges of getting the users to attend the trainings because otherwise the people would not even come to training because mm -hmm. they were like, you're wasting my time. I have a job to do. So uh, that approach, it kind of started with a mini idea. And then it, by the end of like, by, by the end of my time, we like now there's a full fledged program where it's part of the deployment strategy that like three like six months or four months before the go live or the deployment, we get these same group of people together in a shop, uh, in, a, in a, sorry, in a workshop and get them to talk. And that's it. They just talk to each other and like, can you share some tips and tricks that you learned over the last two years? So it's worked, it has worked very well. So that's actually a little different than I, uh, I, than I thought you were going to say. And I, I actually like this idea better. I thought when we had originally talked about it, mm -hmm. you, I think either I just put it in my notes, but it was kind of an internal case study. And I thought this was like a, a written format, Yes. but I, I actually love this idea to actually be the connector to bring other men and women with that experience in with those who are about to experience this change. Yeah, and, and to just be the the conduit to to bring those folks together—that's a, a fantastic idea. Did you also write these experiences up in any way? Yeah. So, uh, so on the just to add to it a little bit on it, right? So this particular approach were more more focused on the actual system users. What we did for the local management is what you mentioned as the internal case study, 
right? Because a location manager, uh, as much as he or she knew that, you know, they have to use these systems eventually, but to get them excited about it, we kind of pulled the numbers, uh, right? Because we were tracking that we deployed this system. So this process was improved by 50%. These delays were reduced by 30%. So we kind of took all those real data from a location which had actually seen that improvement and put that in front of the new location, right? It's like, we are not just saying it, it is happening like on the other side of the world with your folks. So um, yeah, so I, I mean, it was kind of a different approach depending on who we are who we are talking to. And on the capturing the experiences, yes, we eventually started, um, we had these um, like hotlines, if I may call, where uh, you know some specifically identified users could call the experienced users and connect to them and then we had a lot of testimonials being captured um, and we made sure it, it did it, it said akanksha mathur field engineer this this location so like hey i'm a field engineer and it just clicks you know uh, yeah it's like my same world so one of the things you just said the speed at which it, you and your colleagues were impressed with the speed at which they were able to make that connection. And it, it made me realize that if we don't have the same role and we're trying to communicate those things, the first part of our job is to earn credibility and trust yeah. with the person that we're talking to. But in that scenario, when you put a field engineer with another field engineer, or, you know, the, the different roles that you were talking about, they already have that established trust because they are peers and they're doing yes. the same job. And so even if they've maybe never interacted with that person before, they know that they, they spend yeah. every day living in their shoes. And so they've already earned that credibility, right? So that that's a really interesting point. So in addition to just being an effective way, it's also a faster way to get that information across. The other thing that you said, which I, I really thought was interesting is bringing out some of the data points about the results. And, and I kind of wonder if it, it almost sounded like what you were saying was that for like the field engineers in that example, mm -hmm. that scenario was better for them than just talk to another field engineer, mm -hmm. but perhaps those folks in leadership positions may be better off seeing some of the data that other areas yeah. had experienced. Is that true? Yes, exactly. Yes. So it was uh, kind of saying that, okay, I mean, you know, a, a certain location in Europe, uh, you know, like, okay, tell me what are your key pain points? It's like, oh, um, you know, uh, my stock on hand is too high and right. things like that. I'm like, you know what, this is the tool that North America used. And yes, it takes time, right? Because it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in six months because the user is going to go through a learning curve, right? So it takes time, but the more data you put in the system, the better outcome you get. So over last one year or two years, this particular location, they have been able to reduce their stock on hand by 50%. And they, I mean, they, we showed them live in the system, right? And they knew the folks in that location. So, you know, they knew that we were not just making up the numbers, right, right, but right. the same credibility point. So that helped a lot in getting traction from the leadership, I would say, the, the, in the location itself. And then, yeah, we kind of tried to connect both sides.
Yeah. So I want to, I want to peel this apart because I think this is really, really important for everybody to, to hear and understand. There are at least two stakeholders that we're talking about here mm-hmm. who have different views of the exact same circumstance, right? So the field engineer may not care at all about stock on hand because that's not that that's essentially a financial mm-hmm. metric mm-hmm. that you're trying to drive down cost. You don't want too much stock. You want just the right amount of stock on hand to serve your needs, but you don't want any more. So you're not carrying inventory, all that kind of stuff. It's financial consideration. Leadership cares about that. But the field engineer, him or herself, they just want to know that the stuff is where they need it, yes. when they need it, right? That's all they care about. Yeah. But the, this conversation is different for the field engineers. For them, it may reduce the amount of uh, paperwork they have when they yep. get back, right? At the end of the day, yep. they're actually doing their, you know, the, the data input that they need to do, the data collection in the field. They're doing it on the fly so that when they are done with their day, they're actually done with their day, right? Yep. So the what's in it for them is very different and they might yes. not care less about those other benefits of the business. Yep. On the flip side, when we're talking to leadership, they may, of course, they care about making a day in the life of the field engineer yes. easier, but that's not the motivating factor for them yes. to support this tech transformation, right? What's going to yep. be motivating for them is those bigger picture issues that their bosses, you know, beat them up about, which is keep your inventory <laughs> low, right? Yes. And all those other things. So I think that's just such a great example. And again, it's it's not super complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, but this is actually a very simple and logical approach to say, let's look at each one of the stakeholders that are going to be affected by this and figure out what are the data points that we need to communicate them and what's the best method for us to communicate them. And I can see that scenario of the engineers talking to one another, perfect way to <laughs> deliver that message and perhaps writing up something that it, maybe in written form is, is maybe a better approach to get to the leadership mm-hmm. um, is also a great method for them. So this, this combination of ideas, I think is just um, really fantastic. And I'm really glad that you shared that with us. Thank you. Yeah. It, it, it's, we have seen that going, uh, it, it, it took different speed in different geographies, depending on work cultures and everything. But yeah. it, I mean, it is, it was one of the common, I would say, and uh, method that kind of worked in irrespective of the geography. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think the the other thing that my experience in my day job and then being the host of, of the show has made me realize is that we have to do a better job. Everybody who's responsible for transformation initiatives um, with frontline workers, we have to do a better job of gaining support from the frontline leadership. So uh, an excessive focus on the men and women on the front lines themselves, mm-hmm. that's awesome. But if we do that without the support of their direct leadership in the field, then these things will fall flat. And we've yep. seen this firsthand that um, we need them to be a part of this solution as well. But it doesn't mean that the same message that's impactful yep. to the men and women on the front lines is going to be important to leadership. So this yep. is just a, a great way for us to talk that through today. Um, there's something else. You had done some surveys and, and gathered some feedback from the field. And you know, this part is near and dear to me because some of the mm-hmm. feedback that you got was really powerful and, and it reinforces something that I believe personally in the business that I'm a part of during uh, that I always refer to as my day job. Um, you know, we, we touch on this all the time, but you had gotten some survey results and I'm, I'm going to just going to read some of the things that we had talked about <laughs> with users were basically saying to you when you were in a, a deployment scenario, when do I get to touch it? Don't show it to me. I want to actually touch it. Um, and then you also said, you know, most of the people here are hands-on learners. Yeah. And 
those are a couple of things that just really struck a chord with me. And I'd love to just dive into that a little bit. I know we're already kind of getting close on time here, but um, just share with me some of the feedback that you got and how you even solicited and captured that feedback may be a great place to start. So, um, so I would say like uh, from the very first, first country or the location that we went start preparing for the deployment until the it, it's the project is not done yet it will go for another year to complete but anyways like when like we spent so we have a we have a communication methodology right like we start with understand asking them what are your pain points then we show them what is the standard design and then find out the gaps right so during this whole process when we started talking to the leadership at the location level right uh, not at like the area level or a little bit higher and the end users as as you mentioned at the end of the session when we were like okay do you guys have any question the common question and i think i mentioned this during our prep call to our sur surprise in every other country the very first question was okay fine this was good when i'm gonna play in the system when i when i'm like you know i powerpoint is good you know Give me a picture, but how, when do I feel it? Like I, I can't. I, like you know. And as you said, right? Operations people, including myself, are very hands-on learning people, right? We, they don't want to sit and read a twenty-page PDF to learn how to do two transactions that they need to do like two hundred times a day, right? Even if they have to do it once, they don't want it. They want someone to just show them how to do it, and they will catch it. They are super smart people. They will just catch it and they will actually start doing it 200 times a day very fast right so we and considering you know the financial reasons and technical reasons we just could not do it we just can't have a thousand users playing in a system like you have to like training environment staging environment and a lot of technical challenges so it was always a challenge for us early but we knew that you know we won't be able to have these people attend trainings until they have got some flavor of it. So um, I think a couple of ideas that we tried, uh, and I, I, I honestly believe there's a lot of scope of improvement, and not just specifically to the project I did in general globally, is that you know we identified the users who we knew that are fast learners and were happy to help. So like, you know, in future, they could become the local resource for rest of the team. So we, we, we did figured out a way to have these people to play around in staging for whichever tool we were playing, right? So um, there were a lot of different ways for them to do it. Um, they could have uh, experienced user from uh, already deployed location with them. And that location, like it they were like quickly 30 minute calls or maximum one hour calls because it was all virtual, uh, you know, and then like, okay, now go click there. You see, this is what happens. Now go click there. It was just a like, you know, someone sitting next to them and walking them through. And we got them to repeat that, like, you know, two or three months before everyone else got their training. So by that time, I won't call, I won't say these users were experts because you know they only spent few months, but they understood the basic language or the terms, right? And they knew that, you know, just to create a purchase order, which is one of the basic transaction I would do, I need to do these five clicks. So I mean, we didn't expect these people to become experts just because they're getting the system to play with, but they got the idea. They also at the same time got where they're going to get stuck. So they were like, you know, if I 
choose, if I forget to choose this data point, it's gonna fail. So they had a lot of, they made mistakes. They learned from that. And because it was in staging, it was safe for them to do it. And they, we also had script prepared for them. So the overall, the, the strategy we like now globally being worked out is we identify these people ahead of time uh, and then with the help of management, of course, and they, they, and we have they have to commit that they're going to have to spend a little bit extra time on playing in the system in addition to their full time job, right? So, and there are some young people, right, who who have time on hand and they're they're just curious to learn more. So, uh, so we got these people to touch the system as they all wanted. So at least, like you know, if if it's a if it's a team of twenty in that location four of the, those people, four to five of those people got to do that. And they could then talk and show to their peers, look, like I'm in staging now, this is how you do it. So before even we reached training, these people had, you know, something like automated in the background of the idea, like this brand new terms, but you know, he told me that this is what it does. So this is, this, that was one of the, I'm sure many other approaches that we tried and it worked pretty well. What were some of the challenges that you faced with trying to get users into a staging environment? Um, the very first one was getting um, getting the access set up uh, because because like most of my colleagues, like we were not IT background, so we had depended a lot on the contractors. Um, and then plus, it was more on because this was a global deployment, the whole virtual, doing it virtual was a bit of a challenge, uh, which I think everyone has overcome now. Um, but yeah, I think the the one was still to explain them that, yes, you're getting the system to play around with, but don't, don't expect that on day one or day two, you're gonna become an expert. So you got to sit and someone is gonna sit with you and tell you everything. So it was more still telling them, you gotta be patient for first to first week or so. And then also I think another, uh, one of the major challenges because these were the field people was the like keeping their time commitment. Because, uh, you know, yes, in the very beginning, it was all nice and shiny. Yeah, I'll have like, you know, two hours every day or I don't know, like, you know, four hours a week. But these are field people. Like, you know, they just get a call from the client and they have to go offshore and they don't come back for weeks, like specifically in this project, right? So that was one of the quite a few challenge. A lot of time we realize, like in its exact same scenario, we identified this super amazing guy um very enthusiastic like like you know very keen to help everyone and but um he just could not complete his hours because he was on the field all the time so eventually his manager was like you know he's not the right person not just because he doesn't have he doesn't want to do it but he doesn't have time for this so we like at the very late stages we had to identify new people so those were some of the challenges that I would say we are still facing in that particular uh, part of the project. Yeah. This is all great, great information. This has been um, an amazing, you've, you've given us quite an amazing list of, of takeaways that I think a lot of people can put to use in their uh, projects. So I, I really appreciate uh, you sharing today. No, it's my, it's my pleasure. It's um, I, I honestly feel that, uh, I mean, coming, wrapping up, like coming back to my point one that, uh, when we are trying to give something new to the frontline uh, workers and field people, we need to understand their world 
and uh, give them something that they will actually use and use well to eventually, you know, uh, meet the expectations and, uh, yeah. I think if we can enable, you know, focus our energy on helping the men and women on the front lines to be successful, then all of our objectives to the other stakeholders will all be met as a result. But when we flip it around and when we don't focus on the frontline workers, then we really put the whole project at risk. And so, um, as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, that's really a big part of, of what we're trying to, to do with the show and, uh, and building this community is just raising awareness for how improving the success and, and empowering them, enabling them to be successful with these digital transformation initiatives will yield to, to better success across these, these uh, initiatives overall. So thank you for sharing all your, your, uh, your ideas today. And uh, to our audience, I do need to wrap the show up, but I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. Uh, Please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skyllful.com. And we're always looking for new guests on the show. So if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on the next episode. Akanksha, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right.